Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about how the future of Australian coal and gas is actually looking pretty bleak. We're going to talk about how climate is barely being mentioned this election campaign, which is not ideal. What is good, and it's a rare piece of good news, is there's some good news on plastics. We hear that so rarely. And there's plenty more this week. I am joined as ever by Elfie Scott, who is remote this week. We're both remote. We're doing this remotely because Elfie, you've had COVID. How are you going? <laughs> and COVID sucks. I have to say, like, you know, after what is it, two years of just thinking about getting it and then maybe just assuming that I'd be okay. It's not great. I just wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> No, I can absolutely, I absolutely share that sentiment. I, I was knocked around like I, I had a, a man flu. And as we know, the, uh, the man flu is the most terrible disease known to mankind. Uh, so it is, you hear, you know, the, the whinge ratio with a man flu is higher than any other disease. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's, let's talk about something else we should probably be whinging about. And that is the 2022 election campaign now it's it's something that that i thought might happen i thought we put out a poll we said this might be a referendum on climate uh but you know i even wrote a newsletter saying in 2022 there is a very different election climate you know it feels different we we might actually have an election campaign based around these issues based around the pledges to get towards net zero accelerating those pledges but um, <laughs> it just, it isn't panning out that way, is it? Now, 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 what happened in the leaders' debate? How many times, Elfie, did we hear the words climate change? It was bagel, wasn't it? It was Absolutely donut. Zero. It was bagel, donut, zero. That's exactly what it was. We, we didn't hear it at all. And it's, it's, um, it was disappointing, but I guess ultimately not surprising. And I think the best analysis um, we came from Nick O'Malley in the Sydney Morning Herald, and we should give Nick his dues because he's he's a journalist who's covered climate issues for a long time. And yeah, his pieces are always fantastic. I love reading his stuff. Yeah, that's so it's worth sharing. I'm just going to read a paragraph here. He, he wrote that climate change has long been a political graveyard for Australian politics. We knew that. He wrote, the nation was made rich by its abundant resources, particularly coal and gas. As a result, powerful incumbent industries backed by media allies ooh, have used their political might to turn public opinion against leaders who dare heed the warnings of scientists too closely. And while public sentiment has today shifted, it has not yet shifted in the right places. This is what a Labor strategist told Nick O'Malley. In other words, the main parties, um, they're looking at, at, at coal seats. They're looking at seats like the Hunter Valley, Elfie, uh, the seat of Hunter in the Hunter Valley, which is held by Labor by 3%. That's the seat that Joel Fitzgibbon will vacate at this election. Um, Labor's got another candidate in there. Um, they've, they've got a guy uh, called Dan Repasholi, um, Look, he's a former fitter and turner. He's a former coal miner. Uh, he's a for, he's a former Olympian. He's been he's been to the uh, Olympic. He's an Olympian. He's been to the Olympics three times in the sport of shooting. So he likes coal. He likes shooting. Um, he's a tradie. 
that's who Labor is putting up in this seat, as they probably must. And they're just not mentioning climate at all generally in the election, are they? Yeah, and I think that coming from the perspective of Australians who have lived through the past couple of years, we've seen the bushfires, we've seen the floods, it feels just kind of bizarre and like really rubbing against our values to not hear people campaigning on this issue. And, you know, you can understand Labor's position to some extent, but the fact that they're just not talking about it at all is so frustrating and it feels very strange as people who want to put our votes towards the climate that we're not hearing about it. Uh, it, it, it absolutely. The landscape has changed in three years. Nico Malley's piece made that clear. Countless polls that we've published and published in our newsletter and spoken about here on the podcast have shown that Australians more and more consider climate change an issue. And the ABC did a poll this week, didn't they, of young people of the 18, 20, 18 to 29 year olds. That uh, would be your demographic. What has your demographic got to say about climate as an issue, Elfie? Um, I'll say by like about eight months, that is my demographic. <laughs> but you're in it. But, you know, they have, again, nominated climate change as their most important issue. And it's higher than any single other issue that the ABC were looking at. And we should also note that more than half of the 700,000 new enrolments to the AEC were from 18 to 24 year olds this year. So, you know, there is this very powerful voter base that look like they want to prioritize climate and Labor, it seems, are not playing into that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Maybe the Greens will get a little bit of a boost from this, but who knows? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, here's what we know. Let's transition to, into, into our next story. Uh, and and, and this, is a, this is a story about a new forecast that shows coal demand uh, in China is about to uh, plummet massively. Now, in the face of everything we just discussed, that young people and increasingly more Australians want climate action and they want a transition to an economy that is absolutely running hot with renewables. Uh, we want that. Australians want that. Now, it turns out Australians are going to need that. We are going to need an economy fueled by renewables because modelling from the Australian National University uh, has shown that China's demand for coal imports is about to go through the floor. Now, of course, China put a ban on Australian coal imports in 2020 as this government um, had a little tiff with them and there was a bit of a falling a out. Tiff. A continuing <laughs> tiff. I mean, actually, it's interesting to me that this has not been one of the election campaign issues, although it's sort of flared up the whole China thing with the Solomon Islands, hasn't it? But Australia-Chinese relations are, are, are a crucial issue. But but look, China has a ban on coal. When that happened, we found other markets, India, South Korea, Taiwan, other markets. But nonetheless, down the track, it, it would be hoped by those with a stake in the coal game that China would come back as an importer. Well, forget it. Um, mm -hmm. Chinese thermal coal imports found the ANU researchers will fall by something like 26% by 2025. Uh, if China gets really ambitious with its climate policies, and it does have them, um, 2025, we could see as much as a 45% drop in demand for Australian coal. So 
basically we are running out of coal markets. Yeah, totally. And Professor Frank Jotso, who we are quite big fans of over here yes. at the podcast, um, he's spoken about this recently and he said that even if Australia were to reconcile its current political differences with China, we should expect that Chinese demand for its coal to be well below pre-conflict levels and to keep falling from that level. So even if we do manage to institute those sort of diplomatic relationships again and like strengthen that relationship again, they're not going to want our coal, unfortunately. And, you know, there's just no way around this. And, you know, coming from the position of people who have been listening to the Liberal Party promises for so many years, talking about how coal is, you know, the backbone of our economy, this is going to be a huge failure if it comes to fruition uh, based on these projections. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jotso tells it like it is. He's 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 an interesting man. He's... he's um... One more quote from him, our findings illustrate how energy security concerns a fracturing global security and trade landscape combined with climate action are putting the squeeze on coal, not in the distant future, but imminently. The squeeze on coal is imminent. It is not economic good sense to invest in coal. It is absolutely like investing in, you know, CDs. It's, it's, it's. it's. <laughs> We're like the sanity of the world. You know, yeah. we keep trying to plug DVDs and CDs. <laughs> we are, to go back even further to my day, we are video easy. You know, we are, the, <laughs> let's open a video store with beta and VHS. All right. Gas, gas too. Same boat. This is a sort of a different story and it's sort of the same story. There is another mm-hmm. study, another study. Thank you, the IGCC, not to be confused with the IPCCC. The IGCC are the Investor Group on Climate Change. They manage, oh, just a lazy $2 trillion in, in assets. Let me just uh, Ooh, rummage. Okay. I wish I had $2 trillion. Yeah, I'm around. just rummaging around the coin jar here to see if I can find a lazy <laughs> $2 trillion. I'd be happy with 20 cents. Um, they manage a lot of uh, assets. They're, they're a serious mob, the Investor Group on Climate Change, the IGCC. They have done some analysis and it questions the viability of a whole bunch of fossil fuel developments that are yet to begin production. Three of them are Australian gas uh, developments, including Woodside's Scarborough, which was given the green light in the last six months or so, I think. Um, others, including including the Beetaloo Basin development um, in the NT, and also one I'm very passionate about, and you would be now too, having been there, is Santos's uh, development at Narrabri in the Pilliga region of, yeah. they always say it's at Narrabri. Oh, who cares if they dig up Narrabri? It's in the Pilliga. It's in a pristine forest that they plan to frack for natural gas um, marketing. Anyway, um, all of these products, according to the IGCC, are absolutely not going to make economic sense either. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, God, this is something that we've known for years as well, right? Like we knew from the outset when Morrison announced his gas-led recovery that these would not be economically viable projects. And now we are just happening to see the data that is bearing that out. And again, another fossil fuel disaster potentially. Well, it's very soon. The the, the future is being forecast by by people with economic skin in the game. And that future is not fossil fuels. It is renewables. 
That is why Australians want their leaders to be talking about climate. We've had a fair crack lately at the Liberal Party here. Um, we're having a crack today, I think, at both parties, at the mm -hmm. tone of the election where everyone's too scared to mention it. We've explained why with Labor. Obviously, they're trying to win coal seats. I still don't think it's much of an excuse. Get on the front foot. Talk about what Australians want. I don't know if we're here to editorialise, but we just did. Anyway, Elfie, let's let's move along to mulch. Let's talk about some of the little stories that came across our radar. What's what's on your mind? Yeah, sure. So this week, uh, America is spanking us. So <laughs> Biden's administration are set to call on Australia to set tougher emissions targets. So the US will urge Australia to increase its 2030 emission reduction pledge this year. And actually, the U Assistant US Secretary for State for Environmental Affairs, Monica Medina, said the US was determined that everyone raise ambition in tackling the climate crisis in a bid to avoid greater destruction. So really, they're stepping in and we might see a more heavy-handed approach coming our way. Well, that's good. I mean, look, who knows whether... whether um you know, a Biden administration official waving a stick at us will make much of a difference, but it's, it's interesting. Well, they that... whack us with it. We don't know. <laughs> well, waving and whacking is very different indeed. So let's, <laughs> let's see how hard we get whacked. But just a reminder, uh, after COP26 last year, Australia pledged to reduce emissions to 26 to 28% uh, below the 2005 levels. That's not much. And, um, you know, especially compared to some of the other industrialized nations, we're aiming for net zero by 2050. What way are we aiming for net zero? <laughs> the Australian way. Uh, technology, not taxes, mate. <laughs> technology, not taxes. And it's always worth mentioning, Elfie, that in that net zero, the Australian way document, 15% um, of how we're going to achieve that is in technology that's not invented yet. There's yes. actually this section there. We really there. need to emphasise that. <laughs> if, I, if I go to the races tomorrow and I, and I bet on a horse, that doesn't exist yet, that hasn't been born yet, but might be faster than all that uh, those other horses in the race. Do you know what's going to happen to my bet? I'm going to lose that money. So, <laughs> That's so, a really good metaphor. I like yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, net zero the Australian way. Uh, let's move on. Look, uh, here's a little thing I saw this week. Um, we, I saw a, uh, a town, a town that is entirely powered by renewables or is about to be not entirely but but partially but could be in, entirely i'm speaking of malakuta in victoria now malakuta mm. tiny little town of a thousand permanent residents swells to beyond that in 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 the tourist season far eastern victoria as we know malakuta it became a household name devastated by the black summer fires uh they lost power after that of course um they weren't alone but malakuta is on what called a what's called a radial line there's only one source of power in and out and the Black Summer was in some ways a spur for the town to get together. They've got a green energy sustainability group. That group got together with some energy companies. They've built solar panels and a great big battery or batteries housed in five shipping containers. It's not that hard. And they can now generate their own power, but they're also connected to the grid. But if they need to stand alone, they can do that. So, uh, well done to Malakuta. I reckon that's a bit of a blueprint for, for similarly small towns in the future. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, like you said, 
absolutely good on them after the devastation that they saw in the Black Summer. Like, this is such an optimistic and hopeful turnaround. And yeah, we fully support everybody trying their hand at renewables, whether you're a little town or you're a little house. Yes. Um, and for our last story, we have a very, yeah, it was, it's a really nice story again. And I really love that you brought this to us, Anne. So this is about plastic pollution in the oceans. And it comes from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, Dr. Linda Davies from there was already a regular walker along Perth's beaches. And she picked up junk off the beach in her spare time. So in 2018, she started analyzing the pieces of litter that she was picking up. And there were 12,659 pieces of litter that she picked up with a group between November 2018 and January 2021. And it showed that things that had been banned, like plastic straws, were actually being found less. So it does go to show that there's this like sort of tangible change that happens in our oceans when these bans come about. Unfortunately, she did find that fishing waste and COVID masks are on the rise, but there you go. It just goes to show that the changes do work and they can be seen on our beaches. Fantastic. Absolutely great stuff. And uh, yeah, the COVID masks, just your final reminder. And we'll probably remind you next time. That'll be your next final reminder. Snip your bits that hang over your ears because... <laughs> They get Don't say boot. sniff your bits. That's not going to be the tagline for this. Sniff your bits is something I will never say again. Um, <laughs> I have a dramatic late life career change. Uh, but yes, yeah, snip, snip your COVID mask loop that goes over your ears. Please do that. Yeah. Birds' beaks get stuck in them. Not good. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is all we have time for today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again. Before we head off, we would like to, as always, acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to Elders past and present, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Thank you, Elfie. And it's, it's the day after Anzac Day, but I would like to acknowledge the role of uh, Australian service women and men in our, uh, in our life, uh, those, those who have passed in previous conflicts, those who are serving today, well done to all of you. And I'd just like to remind people that our newsletter comes out on Wednesday. Hello at thegreencanary.co is who to email if you want one. Uh, we're about to have a page you can click on, make that easier. But for now, hello at thegreencanary.co and you'll get all the week's environment news, some of the stuff that was in the potty today, plus a whole lot more plus some graphs, but they're not boring graphs. I hate boring graphs. They're interesting graphs. They're colorful. The, 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 the bars in the, in the bar graphs have color. They're not just black and white. Um, oh, good. That is, yes. that is a really good promise, actually. Crucial like details. That. Crucial details. Uh, and I, I remind everyone just to say hello to us on socials. We're on Twitter at Green Canary Pod. We're on Instagram at Green Canary Media. So please keep chatting to us there. It's been great. We've had a bunch of new Twitter followers this week. So hello to you all. I know you're all listening to the pod. So thank you. And we shall see you all next week. Bye. Bye.